0: Hosea. Last time I did Hosea was in the 80s. Long time ago. Here we are again. Never thought I'd be here. Thought the Lord come back by now, but he hasn't come back. But we're still looking and expecting him to come. We begin our study of the minor prophets and um, again they consist of 12 as uh, we've mentioned before. The prophets uh, were called, sent and anointed by God. They didn't send themselves, and um, usually it's because the um, kings and the priesthood, as well as the people, had corrupted themselves, and so the prophet was really the mouthpiece of God. He was declaring uh, warnings to the people to repent, to come back to God. Secondary, as a function, he would at times predict things in the future, but the primary Position and function of a prophet was to just speak forth God's word of repentance that they come back to God. The prophets were not always received. In fact, most of the time they were beaten, persecuted, and some of them were even killed. Um, one example is in Second Chronicles twenty four twenty 20-21, there it says, And then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus saith God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord, so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord, Joash the king of Judah gave his approval, not remembering the kindness that Jehoiada, the father of Zechariah, had done to him as king. A king that was right on. A king that welcomed the word of God. Then got to a point in a place where he became an enemy of God. In second Chronicles thirty six, fifteen through sixteen it says, And the Lord God for uh of their father sent warnings to them by their by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people on his dwelling place, but they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at all his prophets, until the wrath of God arose against his people, till there was no more remedy. This is a sad case of the history of the people of God. Things have not changed. They're always the same because you're dealing with God who is holy and man who is sinful. The prophet Hosea is the first thing we want to look at. And the prophet Hosea is one of the 12 minor prophets as we said this morning. And we have... um, The order of our Bible is not chronological. So there are those who are minor before the captivity, after the captivity. So let me give you them. I gave you the first six this morning. Let me repeat them. Um, The six minor prophets here, uh, prior to the captivity of the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is synonymous with the ten tribes. Um, So Israel, Israel, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, that's north. The southern kingdom is Judah, Benjamin and um, Judah, only two. So here you have Obadiah's first in chronological order, um, 845 B.C., Joel 835 B.C., Jonah 765, Amos 760, Hosea 740, Micah 735. There are also three minor prophets prior to the captivity of the southern kingdom by Babylon, which you know that was from 606 to 586 BC. And um, that is Nahum at 710, and then Sephaniah comes next at 625, and then Habakkuk in 608. So those are the those in Judah. Then there are three minor prophets after the return of the captivity from Babylon from 536 to 425 B.C. And they are Haggai 520, Zechariah 520, and Malachi 430 B.C. So again, the 12 are gathered together as the book of the 12, known by the Hebrews, by Ezra E and the great synagogue, 475 or so. Um, the bible distinguishes minor from major simply in terms of the length of the book as we said the briefness but again that's a misnomer because um, again daniel and, and um, um zechariah are um, uh, longer uh and that or shorter and they're still with the minor with the major prophets so Again, uh, it's it's a description of just um, those who believe didn't write as extensive, but again, it didn't mark that one was important or more important than another or that the inspiration was not with one as it was with another because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God as all God breathes, Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and 17, and, and Peter in Second Peter 1, 19 to 21, tells us that the men of old were not speaking of their own impulse or origin, but as they were carried along by the Spirit of God to ensure that what we have recorded in the text is God's inerrant infallible truth. Uh, We don't have any uh, original autographs or manuscripts, but we have thousands upon thousands of copies. And comparing copies to copies, you can compare them, and you can see the minute difference, and you know exactly uh, the exact text. You can do that with a letter yourself if you would send it out and then you would um, lose the original one if you can get a copy of one that you mailed out and, um, and another copy. And if you can compare all, maybe five that you can recover out of a hundred and even though they had been uh, Xerox and maybe the L was cut off or the, or, or the I looked like an E because you know English, you can compare all those things and you can recover the original document because of comparisons. And so um, you've got to be careful the way people explain about um, the transfer of manuscripts and the existence of manuscripts. Um, the prophet Hosea in his house is given to us here in chapter 1, verse 1. Um, and again, he's tied with his message. Uh, as we said this morning, Hosea means salvation or deliverance, the derivative of God's name, the longer form. Uh, Joshua, uh, is also a contraction of Yahweh Shua. Joshua was the, uh, his original name was Hoshea, and then Moses changed it, uh, to, um, um, to Hoshea, Hosea. but, uh, Joshua again is the same derivative as here, uh, Hosea or Hoshea. Either way is the same. Um, different people are named Hosea as Mary, as, uh, Herod and many things and so this one is the prophet and um, he is uh, from the family of Biri it tells us here in verse 1 um, the will of Yahweh and uh, we have no other information no other descendant line no the records many other the prophets we have many um, aspects to their descendancy nothing else. And Hosea was married to a woman Gomer. In verse three, it tells us, and he was called to marry this woman, who was a harlot. Now, some people don't like to accept this, but as we will see, she was a literal harlot, just as uh, Israel had been a literal harlot to God in their marriage relationship. Her father's name Diblium, uh, in verse 3 there, um means uh, two cakes, and again, that's the only other thing we know, nothing else at all. So this was the prophet Hosea, and uh, the ministry time of uh, the prophet Hosea is a very dark one, very interesting one. As you know, um, after the break of the kingdom, um, through the north and the southern kingdoms, uh, there was just a lot of corruption uh, after David then Solomon and there was a great um, expansion of the kingdom but then Solomon also deviated from God and he married pagan women and much things happened and then the kingdom was divided through his son Rehoboam in 1 Kings 12 um, the prophet Hosea then prophesied to the northern kingdom either the northern kingdom the ten tribes uh, or he'll use the term uh, Ephraim also um, Jeroboam the first is the one who was promised by the prophet Ahijah that God would bless him. And he had this garment and he tore it in 10 pieces and gave 10 to him and said, God will bless you and make your house like the house of David. But as he went north, he was concerned that the people might come back for the feast and give their loyalty over to the house of David, Judah. So what he did is he set up calf worships in Dan and Bethel, two central cities. And he said, these are your gods that delivered you. Now, we will never know how God would have fulfilled that. Remember, Rebecca and Jacob, Rebecca messed it up. She said, look, put some stuff on you. We'll get a kid of the gold and you can impersonate your brother. We'll never know how God was going to do it. Now, if you're a Calvinist, that brings a problem to you. Because you tell me that everything's by the decrees of God. And they can't be altered. But they were. The decrees of God pertain to events and the program of God for mankind. But it doesn't thwart or take away the free will of man. And none of man's free will will ever thwart the purposes of God. So the decrees deal with events and places, but not the free will of man. Never. And so, the kingdom of Israel is mentioned through many different things. The house of Israel, the children of Israel, here in chapter 1, verse 6, verse 10, 3, 1, 4, 1. Um, um, Ephraim is, uh, again, used as the head of the northern kingdom. It was a very powerful um, tribe. Um, the particular cities that are mentioned here all deal with the northern kingdom as you move through them. Gilead is mentioned twice. The evildoers of wickedness, idols. This is the whole aspect that's going on here in Hosea as you move through the book. Uh, Mount Tabor, Shechem is also mentioned um, you have um, the house of God Bethel, and you have Beth Avon. You've made it a place of wickedness or idolatry. Um, they had corrupted everything. Um, as you move through the book, the capital city of the north, Samaria, is mentioned um, six times in 7 1, 8, five, eight six, uh, ten, five, and two other places. Uh, Samaria. Remember the Samaritans, they were um, half-breeds. They came from this captivity, 722, as Assyria took them, and then they would cross-populate people. So they took all the northern kingdoms, the ten, took them and placed them in other places of the Assyrian kingdom. This way they would dislocate them from their homeland, their families, and they would be less, uh, less encouraging to escape. And they were intermingled, and being away from the families, they were intermarried, and then they would disappear. And they would bring others from their kingdom and put them in Samaria. So the people in Samaria began to intermarry with the Jews, and they became Samaritans, half-breeds. And the Jews thought that they were created by God for to kindle the fires of hell. Okay? So that's the origin of the Samaritans, all right? Jesus said, I must need go through Samaria. Um Hosea uh, dates for us the time of his prophecy uh, to the northern kingdom by the kings of uh the South and the north. And the four kings again here Uzziah or Azariah again at times some kings have two names um, He um, reigned from 792 to 740, then followed his son Jotham, 750 to 732. And they co-reigned, some of these kings co-reigned with their father for a time. And that's why when you look at some dates, they're going to be a little different or overlap because they only give the one, not both of them, okay? So there's no contradiction. Ahaz followed in 743 to 728. Hezekiah, good king. But uh, at the end of his uh, uh, years, he kind of faltered and... And uh, he did some dumb things and Babylon came with their ambassadors. And they, and Isaiah the prophet said, they're going to come take everything from you. And by the way, when God was ready to take him home, he started crying like a little girl. and um, And so God gave him 15 more years. And guess who was born to him during those 15 years? Manasseh, the most evil king ever. Manasseh. And Manasseh repented in prison. And God restored him. Amazing. And so you have about a 54-year window time here if you take these days uh, from uh, the first to the uh, when he ended in the beginning of the last one. And uh, since the captivity came at um, 722, and the last king is Jeroboam II, um, the son of Joash here. Then he reigned from 793 to 753. So given 755 to the captivity, 722, you're talking about 32, 33 years of that window time that the ministry of Hosea could have been in effect. Again, dates and durations are not important. If we can try to figure them out, great. But if we're completely wrong, it doesn't change the message. The most important thing of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, is the content, the message. That's the important thing. The prophet Hosea then ministered with contemporaries, as we've stated this morning, Isaiah being one of them. Isaiah is a great book. Uh, if you remember, we spent a long time. It's a 66 books. It's a mini Bible to call. Um, and uh, he was warning Judah about their idolatry and going into captivity. They did not go into captivity till 606, the first one, then 596 and 586, three captivities, the final one. So you've got a hundred and some years from the time that the north went into captivity. Um, Yahweh has, has aim as a prophet who uh, spoke to the northern kingdom also 20 years earlier in 760. Micah prophesied to Judah about social injustice, their greed, and all the rest of the stuff that goes with it in 735. And so you have here Hosea, much like Jeremiah, prophesying to a people that he himself would witness be taken away into captivity. They both were called to observe the death of their nation. And as we look at the parable with the United States and all that's going on in the world and the things that are happening, it's a grievous thing because we see our own nation faltering so quickly in so many ways. And I, I, I can't think that this could not be the judgment of God. As I examine to scriptures, I examine to our lifestyle, our policies, how they've changed, how we have denied God, how in legislation and education and everything else, what responsibility does God have to us as a nation? Absolutely nothing. We've kicked him out of our schools, we told him that he never started our governments and that we'll do as we please. Wow. The northern kingdom under Jeroboam II enjoyed great prosperity. Sometimes God's judgment is exactly that. I'll bless you financially. You know why? Because when you don't fear God and you don't walk with God, that money will rule you and destroy you. Now, that's no immunity if you're a Christian. Paul warns and tells Timothy, many have been led astray and destroyed because of the love of money. Money is amoral. There's nothing wrong with it in itself. It's the love of money. It grabs hold of people. It changes them. Private, public, Lives were just treacherous and horrible, perverted, no social conscience, unrebuked, celebrated, as today. I am amazed. Now, I grew up in the 60s, remember, okay? I am amazed at the commercials that come over regular TV about the topics. It is ridiculous. Ridiculous. We are so perverted, so corrupt. The warning of judgments for their idolatry resulted in their moral, religious, and political sins. From the king, to the priest, to the people. Chapter 5, verse 1, verse 10, and many other areas. The prophets called a fool, the spiritual man insane, and the. And they are the ensnarement to the people. So when the priesthood was corrupt and the king was corrupt, then the people, like pastor, like sheep, like priest, like prophet. And we see the same today. Veil worship was so entrenched that they just attributed everything. Oh, we're... We're God's people. We worship Yahweh. Look, let me show you how we do it. Come here. Let me show you our sexual rights. God made sex. He doesn't, He doesn't object to it. There's nothing wrong with it. And so today, even from within the church, the standard being lowered, it's wrong. Syncretism. Be careful what you bring in and start teaching and practicing and believing and saying that it's biblical. It'll destroy you first and then others who follow you. And yet God sent them prophet after prophet and they stole them. Hosea said that he was sent, speaking in visions and similitudes in chapter 12, verse 10. His very life and his marriage to this woman was a similitude, a parallel to God's relationship to Israel. Ezekiel did a lot of charade, remember? <laughs> he covered his eyes, put a napkin, put it go through a hole and did show how Hezekiah was going to try to flee. And they would catch him and put his eyes out and all that. They made alliances with Assyria and Egypt. God said, don't do that. Trust me. Depend upon me. At Jeroboam's death, those that followed his reign were short-lived because of assassinations, murders, conspiracies, everything else. You see, when corruption begins at the head, it trickles down to the rest of the people. We see that in our own nation. When the highest leaders of the land and senators and congressmen are present and everything, when they... Are not as upright when they lie, when they deceive. Should we be surprised that the populace of the United States is like that? When our educators teach that? It's amazing. The preaching of Amos 20 years earlier had not made a dent. They told him to go away. He said, "Listen, I was a fruit picker, a sheep breeder. Don't don't get on me. God sent me. Talk to God about it. <laughs> I didn't go to the school of the prophets." <laughs> and so, seven thirty-three, Tilgath-Pileser captured Damascus. Seven twenty-two, Sargon captured Samaria. And off they went into captivity. Oh, it'll never happen. I remember the early 70s. We would be preaching and teaching about end times and about Russia attacking Israel and about the Antichrist appearing and how we would be one world ruler and one world monetary and all this stuff. Oh, you guys are crazy. That kind of stuff would never happen in America. You want to say that now? I don't think so. This was the ministry time of the prophet Hosea, very, very dark. The message of the prophet Hosea is built around the first three chapters, as he has called to marry this woman, Gomer, a harlot. Chapter 1, verse 2 The charges go. Take yourself a wife of harlotry. Wow. This is not figuratively. This is not allegorical. Now, this was the custom of interpreting scripture. Philo was one of the worst. Origin also finding three different levels of interpretation: the obvious, the moral, and then the hidden. So it's all subjective. It just depends how fertile your mind is. The Bible, when it's literal, it's literal. When it's figurative, it's very evident. It's figurative. Much of the figurative language is dealing and speaking about figurative things that are happening, literal things, okay? So you have to study the context. This is literal. God interprets it in verse 2. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So God says, as Gomer is a harlot, and you're going to marry her, and she's going to be unfaithful. This is the picture of Israel to me. The charges of this marriage... Became defiled. And so the children are brought into the picture. There's three of them. Jezreel. Verse 4 of chapter 1 there. Which means God souls and scatters. That refers to the judgment of the house of Jehu. They would come. In verse 6 you have a daughter. Lerumamah. No mercy indicative of the coming judgment of Assyria. And the second son of third, Loemi, not my people, representing God's rejection of Israel through the illegitimate son that wasn't Hosea's. Wow, what a heavy call. What would you have done if God called you to marry a harlot? Boy, you talk about obedience. You talk about submission to God's will. You talk about dying to self. You talk about being a servant of God. Man, this is God's love. He's attempting to portray his love to his people through the life of Hosea. The charge against Gomer came from her children verse 2 down to 23 of 2, for her adultery, to put away her harlotries as she had violated the marriage covenant, the steadfast love of Hosea. Her allurement was material possessions and pleasure. And all of that seemed so worthwhile at first. And at times, insignificant, it's not going to affect me. Until you cross that line. Until that serpent bites you. And you cannot be unbitten. Then reality sets in. God deals with her unfaithfulness. Hedging her in. Verse 6 down to 13. In order that she would not return to her lover's that she might think of, of 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 not worthwhile to go back and to um lose her way and lose her home she thought well it's worth it when you're in sin it, it you're all blinded it, it doesn't you know you're not thinking of of what you're destroying you're not thinking of what you're, who you're hurting, you're, you're thinking of me, myself, and I, right here and right now. You think David was thinking of God when he was having sex with Bathsheba? You think he was saying, Oh Lord, I just thank you, I just worship you? No. But afterwards, it was like a dagger to his heart. This is cult worship by temple prostitution. That's what she was. God will restore Israel, chapter 2, 14 through 23, his mercy in the future. As we stated this morning, those people who teach replacement theology... Replacement theology teaches that we, the church, are Israel and God is through with Israel. That is absolutely contrary to the scriptures. This is but one of many passages that God will restore Israel. He finishes chapter 14, God will restore Israel. Paul says in Romans 9, 10, 11, God will restore Israel. The millennial kingdom is for Israel. We reign with Christ. Yet the major denominations of our nation all teach replacement theology. The majority of the seminaries and the Christian colleges, replacement theology. The charge of God to Hosea is to redeem her now from the slave market, chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Losing all her beauty, all her attractiveness... All she can do is sell herself off. Fifteen shekels, eighty gallons of barley, animal food. Wow. How low, how low she had come. Now remember that um, being a slave. In the market. It was the lowest of things. Treated like an animal. Hosea. Takes her and sanctifies her for himself. And promises to sanctify himself for her in verse 3. Obeying God's command. Yet he could have had her stoned according to the law in Deuteronomy and in Exodus. His unconditional love of God in spite of her unfaithfulness he didn't need to tell her how unworthy she was she knew it his love was to be just like God's uncondemning not throwing her sin in her face when there's true genuine repentance each of us have been bought out of the slave market the new testament gives us that picture We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. Romans 3.24, Galatians 4.5, Corinthians 1.6, or 1 Corinthians 6. Hosea gave the future fulfillment again in the latter restoration, then at the end of chapter 3, verse 4 through 5. For 2,000 years, Israel has been without sacrifice, without ephod, without uh, teraphim, meaning an idol. So in other words, they're not idolaters today, but they're not believers either. The majority of of Jews today are just secular religious people, if not just secular Jews. Now, our guys, when we go over there, they know the Bible better than some of you. But they're not born again. It's a job. God will restore Israel again. So, as we come to chapter 4 down to 14, all of that has to be interpreted based on the first three chapters of Hosea. And so, chapter 1 represents God's relationship to Israel in the early days. Chapter 2, the spiritual adultery, unfaithfulness to God of Israel. And chapter 3, the restoration of Israel in the future. So once again, don't put here the church. Now, if you look at some of your headings, even in the old King James, that may say the church. <laughs> A new King James and old King James are great translation. I love it. But the headings are made by man, the translators. They're not inspired. So always check your heading to check it to the context. It's Not always right. God called Hosea to declare God's indictments against Israel from chapter 4 to 13. They're just one after the other. The charges uh, were, they, they lacked truth, mercy, knowledge of God, integrity, faithfulness. And it had affected the land, chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Look at that statement right there. Our lack of character and integrity has affected the land of the United States. And I'm not talking about just the people. I'm talking about the physical land. In many ways. In fact, God used the animals as part of God's judgment in the Old Testament against the people. God's in control. Priests and people were alike, unfit to reprove one another, rejecting light and choosing darkness so God would reject them. Here in chapter 4, 4 through 6. the increase in their sinning, people and priests alike. But they wouldn't prosper because idolatry always leads you to harlotry and enslaves your heart, destroying marriage, society, and everything else. Chapter 4, 7 through 14. Look at our society, the, uh, the corruption, the uh, pornography industry, and everything that goes with it, what it destroys. Amazing. Cultic prostitution through sexual rights, drunkenness. The Bible speaks very clear against all of that. Many of us came out of things like that. Why would I want to be involved with things like that anymore? Why would I say that that is okay by God's approval? And yet, I talk to people all the time who tell me they're Christians. And as I'm talking to them, they're telling me how they love the Lord. And yet, at the same time, it shows you how blind they are. They're telling me how they're living with this woman or this man. And they don't think anything of of it. And yet, they're telling me they're Christian. Something's wrong. God warned Judah not to partake of Israel's sin, but she didn't listen. hundred and some years down the road, she went the same way. Chapter 4, 15 through 19. House of Beth-Avon, house of wickedness, instead of Bethel, house of God. Ephraim is joined to her idol. Let him alone, verse 17. Woo! When God says, leave him alone, it's done. Remember the book of Jeremiah? God told Jeremiah about three times, do not pray for these people anymore. Who was he speaking to? The heathen? No, he's talking about his people. Believers. The alarm was to be sounded in the major cities in chapter five, verse eight through fourteen, as a warning of judgment, because they were walking in human precepts, trusting the other nations of Syria, Egypt. Well, you know, God said, "But you know, we got it wired. You know, we trust them. When we get in trouble, we'll give it to them. You know, and we and and we think we're we're we've got it wired. Yet the nation would." In the future, seek God's face and return to him. Chapter five, fifteen, all the way to verse 3 of chapter 6. This will happen through the tribulation and great tribulation. The first half will be deception for Israel. But the last half at the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24, 15, and 2 Thessalonians 2, when the Antichrist enters the temple after he builds it and declares himself God, Israel will flee to the wilderness, Revelation 12. And God will provide protection for her. They will call upon God. This is future restoration. How can you teach replacement theology? If I only had one verse, you could not teach replacement theology. You must make the distinction between the wife that's been put away by divorce for adultery and the bride who is virgin, white as snow, looking for a wedding. You can't confuse them. God's broken heart an anguish in view of their sin and their lewdness and steadfast love is declared in 6, 4 through 11. God uncovered their sin and they were considering that he didn't see everything. <laughs> All their perversion and the corruption in chapter 7, verse through 16. God sees everything. None of us can ever escape from God. David says, if I go to the wilderness, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. By the way, you know, Satan doesn't run hell. Jesus does. (laughs) Hell's a place of punishment. A waiting place right now. All right? So don't think Satan with his red PJs runs hell. He does not. Jesus runs hell. Bad theology. Bad theology. There was the sound of the alarm in view of judgment in chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. They had set up kings, calf worship, altars to sin. God would reject them. Chapter 8, 3 through 16. They had sown to the wind, they had reaped the whirlwind. Verse 7 says, We have all the right and all the freedom to sow anything we want, but Once we have sown, there is no way you have any choice of what you're going to reap. All you can do is acknowledge your sin, ask confession, and deal with the consequences honorably and honestly. And not blame others, but take full responsibility for your sin and how your sin affects others and how it has destroyed others and may even made their whole life miserable. Sin is not a pretty thing. We all know that by experience. We don't have to be told about it. Charges of playing a harlot come in chapter nine and 10. Nine, one through six, shame should have marked her feast, not joy. They were there on their fertility rites Sexual rites in the groves and the altars asking the gods of fertility to bless the lamb. God would put a stop to what was detestable to him as he carried him off into captivity. First six verses of nine. The prophet fails to be faithful as a watchman is the next charge in 9, 7 through 17 responding unnaturally to the love of God so God would cast them away. You as a father, as a mother, when you confront your child, you do it because you love them. You expect a natural response of brokenness, humility, confession, asking of forgiveness because you want to bless them with your love. But you know, if that does not come, nothing will come good of it. The same with God. When you do not have consequences, you destroy authority altogether. This is what has happened to our nation today. All consequences are being removed. So therefore... There is no authority. Every man is doing what's right in his own eyes, starting from the highest office on down. Israel's sin was was for living for self instead of God. Chapter 10, 1 through 15. It's all about them. Their heart is divided. Their heart is sold out. Jesus says, Where your heart is, or where your treasure, your heart will be there. Your heart's next to your treasure. Your treasure's next to your heart. What is the master passion? What do you live for? What are the most important things in your life? So there's a final invitation in verse 12. To break up that fallow ground. Come back to God. The charge is really sinning against God. In chapter eleven thirteen. It's a sin against love. That's the greatest sin. The sin against Hosea. By Gomer. Was a sin against the love. Of her husband for her. Adultery is the most selfish sin apart from suicide because suicide thinks only of yourself you're thinking you're getting out of here and you're not thinking of the people that are left behind asking why and their destroyed lives but thinking that you're going to get out of here and that's final you realize you just cross over to the eternal And the Bible says no murderer shall ever inherit the kingdom of God. Adultery is thinking only of oneself. Not the mate they're destroying. Not the children. Not the home. And God alone can put marriages back together when that happens. I've seen many marriages... By the grace of God. Without the grace of God, there there is absolutely no way. And sometimes it is so difficult that God has allowed that individual to be set free that they don't have to accept that person back. That's the only legitimate reason for divorce, adultery. When you're dead, you don't have to worry about divorce. <laughs> you're set free. So, it's better to forgive and restore whenever possible. If there's true genuine forgiveness I and mean, repentance and then forgiveness. But sometimes it is so destructive to the individual. That Jesus allows that as the only reason. Biblical Allowance legitimate freedom when there's adultery. But it's not a command. It's an allowance. God's everlasting love for Israel. Chapter 11, 1 through 11. Parallel to Hosea. God taught them. Brought them out of Egypt. Walked them. Drew them with bands of love. Fed them. Cared for them. What'd they do? turn their back on them. God's torn in emotions. He hasn't disciplined them. Yet he's given promises. 11, 5 through 11. Oh, Israel. What can I do? He loves them. God's anger is also against Judah, though she's still faithful right now. There in chapter 11, 12 to 12, 14. The charges are legal. The punishment is legal. But it will take about a hundred and some years for Judah to follow the same way into Babylon. God is not like a man. He has to judge. He can't condone sin. Otherwise, he violates his own holiness. God is so serious about sin, ladies and gentlemen, in your life and mine. That's why he crucified his son. If God could save you and me any other way, he would have done it. He wouldn't have killed his son. But he had to give a true actual payment for the sins of the world. And no one could meet that qualification except for God who is holy, sinless. And so he became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So sin is not a game and is not something light in the eyes of God. Salvation is unmerited by grace through faith, but it wasn't cheap. It cost the father his son. God's steadfast love for Israel. So they were to learn lessons from Jacob in chapter 12, 3 through 5. That they can only win if they submitted to God in obedience. Jacob prevailed because he submitted to God, not because he outwrestled God <laughs> that's crazy. the application is there at twelve six so you by the help of your God return, observe mercy and justice, wait on your God continually rather than relying on yourself the app Uh, Israel was following Jacob's deceitfulness. Look at verse 7 and 8. Like a Canaanite or merchant implying dishonesty, saying no. No one would discover their sin. No one's going to conquer them. Really? Don't be like Jacob before I change his name to Israel. God prevails or ruled by God. The judgment of Israel is based on certain things that are given to us. Chapter 13, verse 2. They sin more and more. Now you're a parent. Your son's getting in trouble. He got busted stealing a car. He got thrown in jail because he hit somebody with a bat over the head and you try everything and nothing's working are you going to reward him? of course not you need to take drastic measures is it enjoyable? is it comfortable? no are you torn up and broken hearted? absolutely He was their Lord and God. They were disrespecting, dishonoring him. There was no savior besides him. The iniquity of Ephraim was bound up. Her sin was stored up. So much sin. Samaria was guilty for she had rebelled against her God. Wow. Wow. So God calls Hosea to declare the future restoration again. Notice in this bleakness, this judgment, these indictments, God gives the hope, I'm going to restore you. Now, this generation is going into captivity. But God jumps into the future of what's going to happen, that remnant that Paul speaks about in Romans 9, 10, and 11. God pleaded with Israel through his steadfast love and provides the very prayer. That will be accepted by God there in chapter 14, verse 1 through 9. God even tells us how it is. and It's just simple. The message is repent. Return to the Lord. That's what repentance is. How did John the Baptist open? Repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. How does Malachi close the Old Testament? Repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. 400 years of silence. Same message. Nothing has changed from God's perspective. Confessing their sin, offering sacrifice of their lips, as we are to do so in Hebrews thirteen fifteen, that they would forsake independency on anybody else, in particular here the other nations, and only on God. God provides a promise to Israel in fourteen four through seven; He would heal their backslidings and love them freely, turning His anger from them. Isn't that what happens when there's reconciliation, because there's been confession and there's been forgiveness? This is the heart of God. Isaiah says it's a strange way for God to work when it comes to judgment. He would much rather forgive. Isaiah 1:18 says, "Come, let's reason together, though your sins be red as crimson, they'll be white as snow, Though they are, uh, red, they'll be uh, white as wool." Come, come, let's reason together. Wow. You know, if you're a painter, the hardest color to paint over is red. It bleeds through everything. You've got to put three, four, five different coats of this and that, whatever. (laughs) One coat, the blood of Jesus, covers all our sin. He would heal their backslidings, love them. He would be the source of their blessing. Like the dew and the lily that revives that lily in the morning. Verse 5 through 7. Have you ever thought of how God takes care of everything and it all runs well? The mountains, the trees get taken care of by themselves. There's no sprinkler system. The animals in the lakes, the bears, the deer... The balance of nature takes care of itself, the food chain. The number of animals that each species has is in relationship to their size and their ability to defend or not defend themselves so that everything is equal, everything is balanced. It's we man who have hurt the planet and made extinction of so many different kinds and everything because we abuse and misuse. Now, we're supposed to kill animals to eat. So if you're an animal lover, I know what you do about that. And to clothe ourselves, but not the abusive way that many people do today or have in the past. We live in a fallen world. If you're a Christian, the minute I was a Christian, I didn't just throw my paper on the floor in the world. Whatever. Right away, if you're a Christian, you care for the planet a lot more. You don't, you're not a, a world nature freak. You don't worship the creation. You worship the creator. But because you worship the creator, you thank God for the creation and you take care of it. But you don't live for it. You don't worship it. There's a the big difference. God proclaimed his plan... Would be fulfilled in fourteen eight through nine. God would restore Ephraim. Ephraim would come, would walk with him. And so this was the message of the prophet Hosea. Let me finish here, and it's brief about the book of Hosea, the division of the book, the sins of Israel against God, chapter one through three, based on their spiritual adultery, the narrative of Hosea's wife God and Israel. The second division is chapter 4 through 13, the indictments, the denunciations, the judgments to Israel based on God's justice. And then the third division, chapter 14, based on God's steadfast love for Israel, the restoration of Israel. Now, some divide the book in two. The prophets' marriage to Gomer, chapter 1 through 3, and then the prophets' message to Israel, chapter 4 through 14. So... There can be different divisions. Let me give you some key things in the book. There's key words. Harlotry, 13 times. Adultery, 4 times. Murder once. Lying, 2. There's also the word and associated with drunkenness. It's found all. Those are key words. The word return, 14 times. Backsliding, 2 times. Mercy, Loving kindness is the word hesed, a covenant word. All kinds of times, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that I have at least here. Loving kindness, steadfast love, better translation. Key phrases that ensure his message as divine. Listen carefully. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Chapter 1 verse 2 says the Lord Hosea two, thirteen, sixteen, twenty-one, eleven, eleven. 16 21 the Lord said to me Hosea 3 1 hear the word of the Lord Hosea 4 1 hear the word he moves from his own person into God's personal announcement Hosea six, four, seven, twelve, eight, thirteen, nine, 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 ten, nine, fourteen through 17 this is God's words. He's the mouthpiece of God. God's Spirit is coming upon him. Let me give you some key verses. 4.17 Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Wow, you don't want to hear that about you. Seven eight. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. A pancake half done. You ever bite into a pancake half done? just like luck, lukewarm water. They sow to the wind, they reap the whirlwind, Hosea 8, 7. Listen to this key verse. Sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up that fallow ground, that hard ground, the heart. For it is time to seek the Lord. Till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Hosea 10.12. One more. Hosea 11.9. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man. The holy one in your midst. And I will not come with terror. Israel will be restored. The remnant that Paul speaks about. Wow, this is the book of the prophet Hosea. Now you have a good overview, a good understanding as we move verse by verse. And we do messages on Sunday morning as we focus on this incredible prophet. Father, thank you for your grace and your love. Your goodness, Lord. We thank you for Hosea. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that we can understand and that we would desire to please you, Lord. Help us to depend on you that we would not be like Israel. And so, Lord, we lift our hearts to you. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. You might be over the internet. If you believe that you're a sinner, it's by God's grace. If you believe that you're under God's wrath, that it's God's doing, it's illumination. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, and if you confess your sins and ask him to forgive you, that he will. That's the grace of God. But now you're the only one that can take that decision and make it real. No one can do that for you. And so literally you are the one who determines where you spend eternity. God does not do that. Tomorrow is promised to no one. Today is the day of salvation. I never give a message without giving an altar call. Because I never know. If this is your first or last time. I don't want to be guilty. If you want to be born again. This is your prayer to him right where you sit. Father I come to you in Jesus name. I ask you to forgive me Lord for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.